Well, good morning, church. It's a joy to be with you today. It was um, the fall of 2008 when Ashley and I moved um, here to Wake Forest to attend Southeastern Seminary. At that point, it was just Rob and Ashley and Jimmy. And now we have Rob and Ashley and Jimmy and Joshua and Hannah and Ruth is due here in a few weeks. Praise God. And I will tell you that, um, truthfully, North Wake has been the church to us and with us in a beautiful way. And honestly, if it were not for the call to be a part of the mission of God already in work, at work in Martinsville, we would be happy to spend the rest of our days here with you. <laughs> As such, it's quite the loss for us uh, to be sent out in some ways. And thus is the kingdom. Our goal this morning, as is always the case when we open God's word, is first to rightly understand it, and then second, to be transformed by it. This, of course, is ultimately the work of God the Holy Spirit. So I'd like to read our passage together and then pray and ask God for some help. So let's stand together as I read our passage this morning. Acts chapter 9, verses 32 through 43. As Peter was traveling from place to place, he also came down to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. So all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. She was always doing good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became sick and died. After washing her, they placed her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there and sent two men to him who begged him, don't delay in coming with us. So Peter got up and went with them. When he arrived, they led him to the room upstairs. And all the widows approached him, weeping and showing him the robes and clothes that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Then Peter sent them all out of the room. He knelt down, prayed, and turn, turning toward the body said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her stand up. Then he called the saints and widows and presented her alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed on many days in Joppa with Simon, a leather tanner. Jesus, we need your help to understand your word. We need your help to be transformed by it. So we ask for that help right now in this moment. Please send your Holy Spirit and guide us and lead us. We pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Our text today, actually, verse 31, which is 
technically part of what Larry was assigned to preach last week. I'm sure he won't mind if I borrow it. Mark's one of several transition and summary points in the narrative of Acts. And so before we push ahead and before we study the passage in view this morning, let's zoom out and rewind a bit so that we can be reminded of what has already taken place in this story. For the early church, as Homer Kent has said in his commentary, the book of Acts served to set forth the Christian faith in its true perspective as that which Christ had instituted and which by his spirit dwelling in men, he was spreading throughout the world. In fact, if you remember, Larry suggested that the title often seen in our Bibles for Acts, which is the Acts of the Apostles, may be less helpful than the title, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It is, in fact, the Holy Spirit who is at work, and the apostles, like us, are his instruments. At each of these transition points, there is a verse or set of verses that serve as a summary of what has taken place up until that point. So going back to chapter 2, in verses 42 through 47, Luke is giving us a summary of the acts of the Holy Spirit in the very first expressions of the church. Verse 42 and forward. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. The next summary statement is in chapter 6, verse 7. Here, Luke summarizes the growth of the church in Jerusalem up to that point. So the preaching about God flourished. The number of the disciples in Jerusalem multiplied greatly, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. And so that brings us back to chapter 9, where in verse 31, we get another of these summary statements, and this really sets the table for us for our passage today. Verse 31 of chapter 9. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace, being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, and it increased, increased in numbers. Probably an entire sermon could be preached on these summary statements and how it drives us through and summarizes each section of the book of Acts. There are many more to come, by the way, in our story, in our journey through Acts. But for our purposes today, let's do focus in on, on verse 31 for a moment. It communicates several key things. One is the geographical growth of the church. It says to Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. The second is that the church had peace, which is a very loaded term. If we understand Jewish and Hebrew culture and language, uh, a lot of times you hear peace, you think of merely the cessation of violence. But the Hebrew word for peace is shalom, and it has a much richer and deeper significance. So we may think of this 
peace in light of the fact that the Jewish authorities had a great desire to destroy the sect of Jesus. We may think of it in light of the Roman captivity and the unease with the budding Jewish sect within Judaism and the long-standing religious and ethnic tension between the people of these areas. Think the Good Samaritan and, and all that was entailed in the, in the cultural conflict between uh, the Jews and the Samaritans. However, Dr. Martin Luther King, a name you know, a Baptist minister whom our nation officially celebrates this time of year, is quoted as having said, true peace is not merely the absence of tension. It is the presence of justice. And I believe that only the gospel brings true peace. Because in the gospel, all humans are both beautiful, made in God's image, to flourish in relationship with him, one another in creation. And only in the gospel are humans equally in desperate need of redemption because of what sin has wrought in the world and because of our own sin. Our relationships with God, one another, and creation are now messed up. They're strained. They're not as they were intended to be. And finally, only in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the very same gospel that is taking root in the lives of many in this time and place that we're studying in the book of Acts, God has made redemption for us his image bearers, that we might be restored to our purpose of giving glory to him and delighting in him now and for all of eternity, that we might not have enmity or tension towards one another, but that we might forgive, love, and live in true peace. Only the gospel does this. This is, in fact, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and in seeing this summary of the work of the Holy Spirit and spreading and cultivating it through the vehicle of the church, we come to our focus passage today. Verse 32, as Peter was traveling from place to place, he also came down to the saints who lived in Lydda. It is helpful for us to note that Lydda and Joppa are to the northwest of Jerusalem. And this is still largely a Jewish uh, region, both in, in religion and population. But this slight shift geographically is setting the table for a huge shift out into the Gentile lands, into the ends of the earth, that the gospel, the vehicle of the gospel of the church will be spread. And this is coming next week. We'll get to see that next week. Verse 32 places Peter as the primary human character in the story, which he will remain for a while. But verse 32 also gives us a window into the life that Peter was leading at this point. And it brings into view an important question that I ask you this morning. What is ministry? Have you ever thought about that? What is ministry? Do you have to have some initials at the end of your name to do ministry? A degree. Do you have to be the master of all things divine? I may get in trouble for that. To do ministry, have an MDiv. As with any narrative portion of scripture, we want to be very careful not to think of everything that happens in that story as being something we should also do. However, it's clear in the case of Peter in our story today that he was intentional about carrying the message of the gospel with him. And we honestly are afforded the same opportunity and responsibility as the church, as followers of Christ. Because we are, by nature, missionaries. 
We carry the gospel with us wherever we go. I remember not that long ago in my Christian experience when the missionary to me was someone who was sent out from wherever they were to take the gospel to a place where it was not. That's not untrue. Got to love a double negative. However, we are called to make the name of God great in every corner of the earth, including our own, where we are now. Verse 32 helps us to see that Peter had all of this in mind. He desired to visit with the redeemed, the church, the saints in Lydda. But as we will see, Peter found someone in need and set about meeting his need for the sake of the gospel. When I go to the grocery store, I want to get out as quickly as possible. I'm not really open to finding someone with a need and meeting that need. And I'm sure the men in the room can understand. It's time to get out. You don't shop for fun. It's a task list. Right? For us, our mission is to bear the gospel into places of need, wherever we are, as we are going. Verse 33. There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Immediately, Peter sees this man and his need. Aeneas would not have been an influential or leading member of the society there. He would have been some kind of outcast because of his disease. He couldn't even play a practical role probably in society because he couldn't walk. And yet Peter was drawn to him, and Peter brought the love of Christ to him. That is who we are and who we are called to be. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you, verse 34. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up. There's a lot in this short verse for us to take away. But above all, we must not neglect to see that Peter claims Jesus Christ heals you. Not Peter. Not the apostles. Not the church. Jesus Christ heals you. Once again here, we need to be very careful in the way that we do and do not translate this story to our lives today. Most of us have not been involved in a healing experience such as what we find in this story. However, we never want to declare what God can and cannot do. He is God after all. And perhaps there are some in the room right now among us today who have experienced supernatural healing or know someone who has we must not despise or look down upon God's use of the miraculous to reveal himself and the gospel. We must not despise it. But then again, we must not also view all preaching or gospel talk as requiring miraculous accompaniment in order to be legitimate. The stories in Acts where preaching and evangelism occurs, many are accompanied by miracles and many are not. Here, though, clearly the purpose that God had for this miraculous healing of Aeneas, and indeed the raising of Dorcas in our next story from the dead, was to legitimize the gospel in the eyes of the Gentiles and those who were first being exposed to it. And this must be our standard of measure for such experiences. Does it make great the name of Christ 
and reveal the gospel and God himself to all those who witness it. We see in verse 35 that that is exactly what happened. So all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. This is no small thing. This is no small area. This is no small population. God used this miracle to reveal himself and legitimize this growing religious sect and bring the gospel to those who were without it. In our second story, there are many parallels to the first. Plainly, the church was already cultivated in some form there, much like in Lydda, reading in verse 36 and forward. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. She was always doing good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became sick and died. After washing her, they placed her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there and sent two men to him who begged him, don't delay in coming with us. Here we have a woman who is described as a faithful servant in the life of the church who becomes ill and dies. As a matter of fact, you would probably view her, we probably should view her as someone who understands what it is to see needs and fill needs with the gifting that God has given us. We're going to see in a little bit that the widows show off the clothing that she had made for them. She was somebody who had been transformed by the good news of the gospel and gave of herself to meet the needs that were around her. But let's, let's pause for just a second here. This is a wonderful saint, someone who is giving of herself, someone who serves. She was faithful, but she got sick and died. Sometimes we have it in our mind, whether we like to admit it or not, whether we would use these words or not, that God owes us. Think about the arrogance in that statement. And then try to be honest with yourself. Sure, it's all grace. Absolutely. But really, you know, we've been good. We serve. We give. We show up. We have a fish on our car. A famous modern preacher recently preached a message called, Serving God Might End Badly. Hmm. I don't think I want to hear that message. And we know, honestly, if we think about it, that for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, the end is not in any way bad. The end is beautiful. But honestly, we need to understand that in this broken world, the saints, that's us, will suffer. Continuing along the line of our story, when we suffer, that is not the end of the story. I remember when my grandfather was dying. It was the first time I'd really experienced a close personal loss. And I was sitting in the hospital with him and my dad. It's three generations of Conley men in one room. It's kind of scary. But that day there was a nurse named Sarah who was serving and caring for my grandfather. And he was only a couple of days away from death. And I remember being moved by her care for him. And in that moment, God allowed a gospel conversation with Sarah to take place. And I have no idea where she is now. 
But I do know that God used the circumstances of my grandfather's suffering and even my own suffering and my dad's suffering as, as we confronted death, as we recognized that the end of this man who we loved, his life was coming in this earth. And yet that suffering was not the end of the story. We see here what we must believe, that our hope is not in our circumstances. Now, geography played a role in the rest of the story here because the saints in Joppa had already heard, likely because of the healing of Aeneas, that Peter was nearby in Lydda. And so naturally, they sent for him on behalf of their sister in Christ, Dorcas. 39 and forward. So Peter got up and went with them. When he arrived, they led him to the room upstairs, and all the widows approached him, weeping and showing him the robes and clothes that Dorca had made while she was with them. Then Peter sent them all out of the room. He knelt down, prayed, and turning toward the body, said, Tabitha, get up. He opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her stand up. Then he called the saints and widows and presented her alive. In 39, we see that Peter did not hesitate. The need was presented to him, and there was a journey involved, and he immediately got up and went with them. There's an element of trust here as well. One of my favorite stories of my Christian experience was flying into the Ukraine to help a church, and I was delivering uh, an audio mixer of all things, and I knew no one, no one, and immediately I got off the plane, and I was in the customs section of the airport, and I, I literally have rarely been this, this fearful for my life because I was the only person there that was plainly not like the rest. And I was carrying a $2,000 mixer. And so the opportunity for extortion was very high in this situation on the part of the officials. And I remember praying and thinking, Lord, help me to get through this. And by his grace, I was not going to offer a bribe. I had already made that decision. And it was never asked of me. And I have been told by many, that's a miracle. And I remember kind of getting to the end of that moment. It was very stressful. And just having prayed, Lord, I think I'm, a, I'm just, I'm worn out. I, this was insane. And the doors opened to where the custom section ended. And there were these people, just a lot of people. I'm like, I don't even speak the language. What do I do now? And immediately these two brothers in the Lord came running. Running with their arms open. And they wrapped their arms around me. And they said in the worst English you can imagine, Rob, we happy. <laughs> and they put me in their truck and they drove me three hours to where the city was, where the church was. That took a lot of trust. <laughs> but God validated what it is to be a part of the church globally in that moment. The love of the church in Kherson, Ukraine, overwhelmed me for the days that I was there. And there was a trust, a kingdom mindset as they welcomed me into their home and they fed me better than they feed themselves. And similarly, Peter said, okay, there's a need. There's a brother or sister in need. I'm going. Let's go. And he went. 
Immediately, he's confronted with the grief of those who loved Dorcas, confronted with who she was. They held up the garments that she had made for them in their need. She's raised from the dead. It's important to note he doesn't do this in his own power. What's the first thing he does? He sent them out of the room. He kneels down and he prays. And plainly, we're going to see who he gave credit to very shortly. It wasn't Peter. Again, it wasn't the apostles. It wasn't the church. She's raised. And you can imagine what the feeling was amongst the saints. What joy, what encouragement. But there is a purpose here, even beyond that positive circumstance. And we see it very, very quickly here in verse 42. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. This whole story, our story, is about the spread of the worship of God into all the earth. Our stories fit into the story. Our circumstances, difficult and easy, good and bad, hard, whatever it is, they fit into the bigger story. It's easy to skip past a verse like 43, isn't it? And Peter stayed on many days in Joppa with Simon, a leather tanner. There's not much to that, right? Be careful whenever you say that when you're reading scripture. You're likely to miss something. Notice there haven't been a lot of names mentioned, even though there are a lot of characters. The saints who were grieving for Dorcas and then later celebrating, their names are not mentioned. The disciples who went to get Peter, their names are not mentioned. There's a very limited number of people whose names are mentioned, and yet it's mentioned that Peter stayed on many days in Joppa with Simon, a leather tanner. And it may be that you're asking yourself right now, what do I, a software developer, a salesman, a stay-at-home mom, whatever it may be, have to do with any of this? And that leads us into the big question today. And that is, how are we here today? How are we to be transformed by God's word? And there are some smaller questions, some more specific questions that are going to come into this. Are we living out the gospel in our lives? I remember coming to North Wake and uh, somebody said, hey, um, have you applied the gospel into that situation? And I thought, what? What? I don't know how to, what? It was a disconnect. And what I've learned being the church with you excellent people is that applying the gospel looks like preaching it to one another, marinating in it, and, and allowing it to change the way that we think in such a way that we become peacemakers and life givers everywhere that we go. That's what it means to live out the gospel, to apply the gospel. So here's some questions related to how well we're doing. And I can assure you that this has not been without conviction on my part as I've thought through these questions. First of all, are we actually peacemakers and life givers? Is that who we are in our workplace, in our educational environments, in our homes? Are we peacemakers and life givers. 
This is not just eliminating tension. It's not just putting a meal on the table, although those things are all important. But cultivating relationships, even within the family, even within your coworkers, in such a way as to encourage flourishing. This is all of our calling as gospel people. This is who we are, and only the gospel does this. Second, are we available? Are we available? Peter was almost certainly being provided for by those to whom he ministered, and that's not most of our experience. Usually we go to a place to do a thing with some people, and we earn a paycheck from that. However, don't lose the main point here. This goes back to our question of what is ministry earlier. The bottom line is that he trusted the Lord for provision and was faithful to minister to the lost, the hurting, and the saints wherever God led him. It didn't really matter to him if he had a job, if he had a regular paycheck. He was going from place to place. Now, that's very challenging to us today in our culture. We must not miss that God has us where we are already going to be a missionary there. And we are to go. We are to go. Anywhere worship is not, we're to go. But we're to minister in the gospel as we are going. Third question, do we recognize the greater purpose God has for both the things that go well and the things that don't? We see examples of both in our story here. Both the illness and death elements as well as the healing ones are ultimately used by God for his glory. Do we recognize the greater purpose that God has for both the things that go well and the things that do not? And finally, are we prepared to suffer well? Knowing that in our suffering, God can be greatly glorified. I do not believe that God is the author of evil, but I do believe that he will turn a mess into a beautiful thing. I have seen it. I have lived it. I've been transformed by this reality many, many times. I would encourage you that if we dig our heels in, the moment suffering sets in, we miss most of that. We miss most of what God has for us in those circumstances. So I'm going to read these four questions for us again. And then we're going to pray. We're going to ask God to help us respond and be transformed by his word. And there's going to be an opportunity um, as the music begins for us to stand and sing. But also, if God is moving on your heart, there's something that you'd like prayer for, that you'd like to share with another human being. Some of us will be up here and we'd love to encourage you and pray with you. So I'm going to read our four questions again. And then we're going to go to the Father. Are we peacemakers and life givers? Are we peacemakers and life givers? Are we available? Do we recognize the greater purpose God has for both the things that go well and the things that do not? Are we prepared to suffer well? 
knowing that in our suffering, God can be greatly glorified. Lord Jesus, help us to be your church.